Nailed it. Perfectly executed. Stuck the landing. The Russian Even judges. Even got that little hook at the end that you've added. Uh, yeah, actually, you 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 hooked up. Um, yeah. Welcome to the nonprofit. Okay, sorry, what? Welcome to the nonprofits. I am Stephen Campbell. I am also Stephen Campbell, you are, also known as Frankie French. You are not Stephen Campbell. Um <laughs> This, you can't prove that I'm not. Well, what if this is somebody's first episode and they're only listening in the audio format? Go like, share, subscribe. And then they hear me saying that you say that you're Stephen Campbell in that same voice. And then they think they're listening to the same person that just keeps on changing right. their voice. And we can't right. have that. But then it's also hilarious that they will be so confused. <laughs> yeah, it's true. No, so, I'm not not Stephen Campbell. That's what I'm saying. Um, we both got gray sweatshirts on. And we did not communicate that before. Um, uh, Steven totally texted me. Oh, my God, Frankie. He was laying on his tummy, kicking his feet in the air. <laughs> he was like, oh. he's like, oh, my God, Frankie. I'm doing this coloring book. And I was totes thinking that we should def wear gray sweats together. And I was like, okay, coolio. Dunsies. And he was like, bye, Zs. I was like, love yous. He's like, love you more. That's what happened in real What life. kind of coloring book am I using that I'm like, gray. Let's gray is the A strawberry shortcake coloring book. Duh. Do you do coloring books? No. Yes, I do. I feel like I should. I should. It should be. It'd be a very meditative situation. But I got a coloring <laughs> book and it sits on my bookshelf like most of my books untouched. <laughs> I feel like, you know, it'd be cute if you have like, like on your coffee table or like some area for dates, like you just have like. A hodgepodge of coloring books and crayons. How That's old, like a fun activity to do with a date. How old do you think the dates I'm bringing home are? That coloring Whoa. books. <laughs> Whoa! Wow! I I mean, my assumption was that they were whimsical adults. Oh, but now got it. Got it. <laughs> now I've got questions. I don't know, Stephen. How old are the dates you're bringing home? Are they as what? as old as me? My I I only date people with the same exact birthday as me. That's got to make dating difficult. It's that's got to. It's make tough. It tough. It's tough. We had to be born in the same time, same day. Yeah. Different states are fine, but our sun signs and moon signs must align. You don't think that'd be a fun activity though? Like you just kind of have coloring books and like that could be a thing to do. That'd be cool. I would think that. Well, actually, now that I'm mm. saying it. And I'm thinking about going on a date with a guy and then going back to his place. And then there's just coloring books everywhere. Yeah, just all they're all just like glued on the wall, like all these colors that I've done. It's like, hey, you wanna you wanna you wanna do it? I really love these colors. That would be okay, never mind. I what if, what if I bring you home, I pour you a drink and I say, Let me get into something comfortable, and I come out in footy pajamas with a bunch of coloring books, and then Oh, hold on, are there s'mores? Uh, yes, we will cook s'mores on my oven or on my. I'm in. Oven. I'm 100 in. <laughs> I'm into it. Yep, let's do it. That sounds amazing. Um, I was so you were telling me about a joke that you're thinking up. I was just thinking of a sketch idea that's kind of similar, where it's it the game is race cards. 
right? <laughs> the the name of the game and every race is dealt different cards, uh-huh. right? Where I don't have- that is, a, I think that actually is a sketch. Oh, it is. Yeah, I feel like there's something very similar. That's ringing a lot of bells. Hold on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look, keep keep telling it. Well, it, and I'm still trying to figure out exactly what it looks like, but it it's just the the white people are not given as many race cards, um, <laughs> and so it would just be like, say, I don't know, I don't know how it works yet. All I all in my head is just this very fun like Uno commercial. Where we, where just people are playing playing their race cards. I, I haven't really thought it out. It is not. I know it's, that's it's that's very funny. But yeah, mine's not really. Yeah, I don't know what the joke is a hundred percent, but it's basically making the connection between how when you're little and you play Monopoly, everyone wants the race car. Mm. You know, everyone wants to play the race car. Like I want to be the race car, and so. But it sounds so close to race card. But I feel like there's a bit in there somewhere. So maybe, maybe because it's a game that's most popular to white people, and that they can finally play play the race card. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. You're just like you get to do white people shit, like take over at Madison Ave, but right. you can play the you race get to card. Electrify all of New York. Yeah, right. That's- that's me. It's a that's me. It's a link to the race card sketch. Oh, it's oh, it is. So it is a sketch. Bro. Yeah, but but I don't think that's. I haven't seen it in a minute. I don't think that's a hundred percent like what you were talking about. So we can yeah, we'll okay. look at it later. Uh, so what else is going on with you? Um, I have some oral surgery that's going to be coming up in the next few weeks. It sounds sexier than it is. Oh, it's not sexy at all. I had to cancel a bunch of stuff. Um, yeah, I canceled a movie shoot, a bunch of spots at clubs in New York. So I was pretty bummed about that. Um, but I've gotten to like catch up on some rest and hang out with my kiddo a little bit more than I have been. So that's cool. Okay. Um, and then in like two weeks, I go back to the dentist. They figure out exactly what they need to do. And then I don't know. It's a lot of stuff apparently that I need to have done. So. Yeah, I've been um to to avoid any sort of dental surgery. I've been doing this thing where I don't go to the dentist. Oh, I mean that's smart. Yeah. Um here's the thing with that though. That was my old dental plan. Sure. <laughs> Did not work out. <laughs> I'm going to strongly say cuz I bit into something when I was at your house. Um and it was just like a crunch and then it was just pain. Oh shit, I uh, guess I didn't realize that. So, oh yeah, maybe I didn't mention so that. So you like broke your tooth chew- <laughs> chewing on something? Yeah. Ah, I've done yeah. that with uh, biting a fork. Um, I've done it on huh. multiple occasions that I've chipped teeth because I bit on a fork too hard. It was always salad. It was always salad, which goes to show you. How are you eating your salad? Like I feel like just I mean, I'm spitballing here. I'm not a doctor, but I feel like. You shouldn't bite your fork. I don't know. I could be crazy, but that's that is what I've learned. My takeaway. That is, that is what I've learned. Um, I also I I watched this documentary last week that was suggesting that humans are not meant to eat meat, and it's like it's very much like vegan propaganda. And I yeah, knew, you were telling me about that, and I felt personally violated. Right, like, it, it's so clearly vegan propaganda. 
But by the end of it, I was like, I believe all this vegan propaganda. And then I had a jerk chicken salad, which made me forget all that. And you're like, fuck those vegans. (laughs) Oh, there's no, there's this, there's this vegan Jamaican spot right by my place that I didn't know was vegan. And they tricked me into being vegan because they, you know how like typically they'll say chicken, but it'll have like an apostrophe or like, like some sort of asterisk, something to let you know they mean faux chicken or faux tuna or whatever the thing is. They just call everything chicken. They, there's one little asterisk in the bottom of the menu that says everything is vegan. Everything else. They just say it's chicken, but I've only been eating it in like, like Jamaican patties and stuff. Does it taste like chicken? It tastes like chicken, but it's like Jamaican patty. So it's just like, it's like ground up chicken anyway. It's like a minced meat situation. It's a minced meat situation. So you can't really tell what it, so you're like, oh, this chicken is delicious. It was, it was very upsetting. Um, I felt lied to. chicken comma is good. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm trying, I'm trying though. I started going to a dietitian. So are you like lactose, gluten-free, flavor-free? sugar-free salt-free food-free i cut out refined sugars all you can eat is water and ice yeah no not to that extent but i put on 23 pounds in the pandemic and so now i'm trying now yeah now i'm trying to carve it all off you gotta bulk it up and then shred it down yeah i and that's what i told myself the whole time I was gaining the 23 pounds. I'm just, I'm just bulking up. I'm bulking up. I'm, as soon as things open up, I'm going to shred it down. I just got to bulk up though. <laughs> yeah. And, and well, and then I, my, my physical goal for the year was to run a marathon. And then the marathon kept getting canceled because of COVID. And then, so oh. I just stopped having a physical goal. So now it's, now it's cutting, cutting this weight and getting shredded, baby. But you got, can I make one suggestion? May, may I give advice? Please. Or do you want me to just listen? No, please give advice. Excellent. You have to stop being a human, a human garbage can. Mm. You like, yeah, you have to be comfortable, like got to learn how to get comfortable with leaving food on your plate. Not that you throw it away, but just saying, okay, I don't have to eat this entire meal and then wrapping it up and putting it in the fridge for a real later not for like 15 mm, minutes later. I, and I'm not, this is no judgment. I know. All. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's yeah. funny. Um, my friend who's a comic and a dietitian, she, a fear, a fear. Yeah. And love her. Very, shout out to a fear. Yakub, check her out. Um, but it's funny because like, she talks about like all her patients that she sees and like, I didn't really appreciate like how personal it's like talking to somebody about your eating habits is like going to therapy that you're like, really. it's very private. Yeah. Yeah. And just like very private. Cause like I started sending her like what I was eating and like, as I would write it out, I was just like, Jesus Christ, dude, like you didn't need a whole pizza. You definitely didn't need, definitely didn't need a whole pizza. Um, That's Santa Ponza pizza. You can just, I've wolfed one of those down like in a, in one inhalation, just like, oh yeah, mm, I can, yeah, this is fine. And it's if you not were fine. to be, if you, if somebody were to ask you what, how many serving sizes you think that pizza is, it's probably four. Oh, really? Do you think? Okay, sure. Do you think? It's one. Like, I just don't. Well, I don't know because, like, now that I start to write out, oh, no, it probably is four. You're right. Like, it probably is four. It's just like when you say it, 
I'm like, mm. right. And, and but ah. also like who in their right mind is eating a quarter of a like a it's like a 10 inch pie, like a 12 inch pie. Maybe I it's a it's a personal I mean, so to, for context, it's about the size of an and pizza. I think most people have been to and pizza and pizza is a D.C. company. Oh, it's only in D.C.? I don't, I don't know if it's... So it's one of... The, yeah, it's not only in D.C. It's one of those oblong pizzas. You know what I mean? Anyone visualizing one of those oblong pizzas. You know, so it's not that... It's not like a big 16-inch pizza pie. It's not that. But it's not not that. <laughs> and I can definitely... And so can Bootsy. She'll put down a whole Ann pizza to the face. We well yeah so yeah I I would really like to get one of those conveyor belt ovens. Oh God! In your house? <gasps> yeah. To make real pizza, that'd be amazing. You know, you know how like uh, people would get like the train sets that go along the ceiling. I want to yeah. do that with a pizza oven that goes around. Goes like, what if it goes starts? Oh, in no, the- that would be all you would eat. Like you breakfast pizza, lunch pizza, dinner pizza. Oh yeah. I'll make a salad pizza. You know, like you could just. Pizza a salad pizza. Well, and, and what if you make it in the kitchen and then you go sit down on your couch and then um I I kind of lost you for a second, but I think we're good now. Oh, I see I see you. Yes, we're good. We're we're we're, we're back. Um so what's been going on with you? Um we're just we're working on a lot of projects. Um there are some very big companies that we're talking to about starting some nationwide tours potentially. Um, and that's very exciting. And I don't, uh, you know, we're having, I don't know who we can talk about, but starting to have some meetings with, uh, some of these bigger companies and one of the biggest nonprofits in the country. Um, I don't think we can really say just yet, but we can give them an idea of what we'll be doing. So, you guys know about our live Lululemon episode that we had, what, two weeks ago, three weeks ago? October 1st was when we recorded it. I don't know when we put it out, but yeah, like two weeks ago, probably. Yeah, I think we put it out like two weeks ago. We recorded it live October 1st in New York, um, and it was incredible. Maybe at some point we'll release the full video somewhere um, and share it with you guys to see it since you weren't physically there. But we're basically going to take that concept of nonprofits and go on the road with it. Yeah. Gonna go on the road with it. We're talking to. There's a lot of companies that want to have the conversation about mental health, and since Frankie and I are particularly insane, we have a very a very interesting perspective on it. I guess people seem to like it, and so now, and it's it's very interesting because it's like um, I I always get imposter syndrome for any sort of things. Oh my god! And to have be leading conversations on mental health feels so imposter syndrome because it's just like, really? Oh yeah. Cause it's like, like the night before like the Lululemon thing, like I was like, or maybe not the night, the week of, I was like borderline having like a panic attack and, oh, no. and then like even in the panic attack, like you can't go talk to people about mental health. Like you can't even get your own shit right. Like you can't like, but I guess it's also this thing of like, no, there those are, that can't do teach. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. But I mean, like, I can't imagine that anybody that's having those conversations and has any sort of insight into those conversations is not 
going through it or has or at least hasn't been through it yeah right i mean i I think we're all i think we're all continuously going through it at at some level you know what i mean i don't think anyone you have moments and days where like everything's great things are firing on all cylinders but i think just generally speaking we're all constantly taking care of our mental health or not You, you get what i'm saying so i think that that's we ebb and flow as humans in that space and that's actually the one space I feel most qualified to have a conversation with someone. Yeah. Not because I've studied it extensively, but because I've dealt with my own for so long. Sure. And different facets of different brands, I should say, of mental health issues within my family. You know what I mean? Like my mother, when I was little, she was schizoaffective, had multiple personalities, bipolar, and uh, personality disorder. You know what I mean? And I, I knew what that stuff was when I was like five, six, seven, eight. Sure. You know what I mean? So it's not, it's just kind of being, having been around it and having, you know, to deal with it in very intense situations um, throughout my life. So I feel comfortable in that space, having a conversation around it. I thought you feel, you seem like you felt comfortable too. I thought we did great. Yeah. Well, I think um, mine comes from, so I've, I, you know, I've had a lot of bad shit happened, but for the longest time I just tamped it all down. And so now I'm just very recently starting to do the therapy thing and starting to really like address some of it. So it's like me in those conversations, I'm literally just like, look what I learned today. Like, (laughs) let me tell you, let me tell you what I learned today about how I was not doing this correctly. But there's space for that because there's someone listening in that same scenario. There's someone listening who just started therapy you know what I mean? So that's a perfect space I feel like to be in. For sure. Because you're going to lend something to the conversation that, you know, again, not like I'm an expert because I'm not, but I've been in that world of therapy and psychotherapy and medication and kind of all of that stuff, like pretty much my whole life. Sure. Taking my mom back and forth to the mental hospital, talking to her doctors at 10, 11, 12 years old because there's no one else there. You know what I mean? So there's, like I said, there's space for the novice and there's space for people like Allie who are the experts. And then there's space for all of us somewhere on that spectrum. Sure. Yeah. And it's also this thing, and I've mentioned this to you before, but now that I'm starting to talk more about mental health on stage, I've never had a higher frequency of people taking me aside after a show and being like, yo, thank you for articulating that the way that you articulated it. I'm going through it right now. And this is, this was very helpful um, and that is, it's, it's a cool feeling. It's very rewarding. Um, but it is also this thing of like, you know, when I'm hosting shows, like I will kind of pull the audience and be like, who is going through it right now? And especially right now, it's an overwhelming amount of people. Right. Um, we were all trapped in a hole. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no matter how luxurious you were, the place you stayed was, we were all trapped and confined to that space for a significant amount of time. For sure. And none of us came out of like, man, I bump into people on the street that I don't know. And I'm like, oh, you're fucking crazy. OK, I get it. Yeah. I, I'm, I feel it, you. I feel you. I get it. Yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah. I and. There's there's ups and downs, and now that I'm starting to do the therapy thing, that thing is very helpful. Um, but do you want to bring on our guest? No, of course I do. <laughs> Hell yes. You um, our guest today, uh, we we were talking via Instagram, and now we're talking via virtual face 
it's signs. <laughs> I don't know what it's talking. That was not smooth. No, it wasn't at all. Um, but our guest today does a lot of incredible work around New York City, works with Help NYC. Give it up for Rue Parkin. Rue! Hey, yes! everyone. Thanks, Frankie and Steven. Great to be here. Oh, my God. And- I'm so excited to have you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I I just want to, before we start, I just want to thank you for making room in your work for mental health, people who are living with mental health concerns. The conversation is finally opening up about that. Um, Yeah, yeah, sure. And and using our lived experience, whether it is with our own mental health challenges or with a loved one or friend or partner or a family member or like your mother, Frankie, it's still powerful. We can have intellectual wisdom from what we've read but until we experience it oh for sure for sure for sure for sure yeah and we i mean this is a as you just stated a very important topic and i am really glad that a lot of people in places are opening up and wanting to talk about it because it's so shameful it 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 has a stigma of being so shameful when it's not sure so anyone listening that's not what i don't mean that it's shameful i'm just saying typically throughout history society has made that a shameful thing. Yeah. You know, if you're having mental health issues and I used the word crazy earlier, but I don't think people are crazy. Um, so I want to clarify that also before people start adding me, I'm a <laughs> lunatic. So I feel like I can use that word. Um, as long as we're like, self, self-describing ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, just myself. That's so, okay. Yeah. Because I have my craze, my, I call it cuckoo moments. Yes, um, we all do. We all do. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it is uh, extremely isolating when you think that nobody else is uh, going through it, right? Um, yeah, and and sometimes even when you when you know other people are going through it, it still feels very isolating because you don't know like how to have the conversation and stuff like that. So yeah, because on the certain they're like they're not going through it as bad as I am, and if I go and tell them what I'm going through, then I'm going to look weak. You know what I mean? Like sure. totally. I'm not handling it as well as they are. You get and, what I'm saying? When in reality, we're both not handling it. You know I mean? right, right. And totally. And the pandemic, there are many, many silver linings that came out of this pandemic. Um, unfortunately, we've lost so many people. And the silver linings are is that we pulled the isolation part of mental health off the table because yeah. we were all isolated. Sure. <laughs> yeah. We hid and did not hide with our mental health. Yeah, and sure. it was the great leveler when it comes to mental health. Um, whether I live by myself, so I was in these four walls, bouncing off the walls, oh, or wow, yeah. single mothers out there with kids, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week for oh. nineteen months or however long yeah. school was out. So, it <laughs> yeah, it was it was. Yeah, uh, so I live in Bed Stuy in Brooklyn, and the roof was like my only place of like solitude and early COVID, like you would go up on the roof and you would just hear people going at it in their apartments. Like you would just hear Uh, people yelling at each other, people like, and, and, but yeah, um, up top Rue, can you tell us a little bit about help NYC and what y'all are doing? So help NYC is a peer driven initiative. Well, now we're organization. Um, and we help New Yorkers connect to the services they need. Whether you're homeless or it's your first time accessing mental health services or you need um, medical care or you just need someone to talk to, we have a variety of listings on our website at helpnyc.info. 
this work for me started about 12 years ago. Um, I was street homeless. I celebrate 11 years in mental health supported housing in two weeks. Congratulations. Congrats. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm a real huge fan of supported housing. I'm getting ready to move on to my into a um, private independent apartment with no services. So I'm excited about that. And Help NYC was born out of a need for verified correct information on entry-level services, particularly low barrier. And what I mean by low barrier is services that don't require you to have 10 million forms of identification sure. right. or yeah. a birth certificate or the birth certificate having the correct name or living in this zip code or living in this type of housing or lack of housing. Um, and when I was out on the streets, um, my social workers, uh, they were saints because I was, I was a hot tamale. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, was not, I, I, I was stubborn. I was hard headed, but they really worked hard to find resources and they could not access up to date information. I remember I'm six, four, 400 pounds. I'm a big boy. I see a nutritionist too. So I know what that's like. Um, and I, um, I remember this one time, it was hard for me to find clothing, and my social worker gave me a listing that she found off a directory, um, and it was out in Brooklyn. I was in a shelter here in the Bronx, and I had to get my passport and go out to Brooklyn, and um, the building wasn't even there anymore. Oh, geez. Oh, no. The organization has shut down, and it wasn't even there. Other th things are is that, for instance... There's a difference between being hungry and hunger. Hungry is like, I miss lunch. Right. Or I miss two meals or I didn't eat today. Hunger is when it's been three or four days of not eating and your body just starts surviving on your energy stores. And for a person who is hungry at nine o'clock in the morning and a social worker, a loved one, a parent, a, a friend looks up, or even a stranger looks up the next soup kitchen or a food pantry on a website, most of the directories out there list the office hours. They don't list the um, service hours, when you can go in and get a meal. And also, you, Help NYC is unique in this fact is that we list them by day and time. Oh, Wow. It goes by borough, day, and then time for the food assistance listings. And all the other directories out there give a great big map. So not only, so if, let me back up a little. So if I am a friend or a person on the sidewalk helping someone who's asking for food or a social worker, or even myself, I'm hungry at nine o'clock in the morning on, was today Monday? I can go on helpnyc.info and click on Manhattan or wherever I am, go to Monday and see when the next soup kitchen's available. I don't have to search on a map and then check the hours and then call them and then make sure everything's up. We do all that work for you because getting the information can also be a barrier. Oh, for sure. And our work is wholly centered in, in, lowering the barriers and eventually removing all barriers to assistance. We live in one of the most prosperous, I can't even say that word, best cities. Thank you. 
have a little speech impediment. I grew up in Maine, so you add the down east and then everything (laughs) else to it. So, um, but you, um, we live in this amazing city and we have the most robust human services, social services, private and public social service network. But it's so huge that it's very overwhelming to someone who is new to it and someone who has been traumatized by the system. And after, for instance, when I was on the streets, three or four times of trying to get assistance for one thing, I just give up. And I go sit in a park on a bench. I sleep in the winter. I was found by an amazing organization, BRC, Bowery Residence Committee, in a cardboard box during a winter storm. And I finally took shelter um but we can talk about that a little bit later about the <laughs> the state oh, wow. of new yorkers experiencing homelessness in the city but, and i can um, imagine that this there's been a significant uptick since covid there has um and a lot of it has to do the city did a really good thing that they they in new york city you're guaranteed shelter okay it's not the prettiest it's not the most hygienic it's not the cleanest but it's a roof over your head and heat and limited food very limited food um and they usually kick you out if you're in general population they kick you out probably around seven o'clock in the morning and you can't come back until six o'clock at night and you have to be in there by 10 a.m to get your bed or you lose your bed for that night i'm sorry Um, so you have to get there at 10 a.m and then wait for eight hours to you're not even allowed in the shelter Oh, wow. So how do or you general? get your 10 a.m.? So, no, 10 p.m. Did I say 10 a.m.? Oh, I'm 10, so sorry. Oh, yeah, oh, 10 oh, p.m. Because that's curfew for most shelters. And then if you don't, if you're not in there signed in by 10 p.m., sorry about that, you lose your bed. Wow. Got Unless it. a bed comes available in that same shelter, you could spend all night finding another bed when the city transfers you. It's not the best system, but you're guaranteed shelter. So during COVID, most of these shelters have 40, 50 people double stacked in dormitories, social distancing, forget it. Sleeping with a mask on, forget it. And the ventilation in these rooms, I was out on Ward's Island. By the way, if you're homeless, it's called Ward's Island. For everyone else that goes out to a concert or soccer game, it's called Randall's Island. Oh, Oh, exact same island. Wait, and I'm sorry, so on Randall's Island, there's, there are dormitories. There are shelters on Ward's on Randall's Island. Okay. And if you're homeless, it's called Ward's Island. If you're not, it's called Randall's Island. Okay. Um, which is a whole nother discussion we can have. So, um, the city made use of the empty hotel rooms in the, um, that we had and moved people out of those dormitories and they started moving them back soon. Um, so the uptick and a lot of people, complained that we're seeing a lot more homeless on the streets. And that's because they were forced into dormitories or the system, they're tired of the system. And a lot of the shelters are not safe. They're dangerous. Um, And you see a lot more street homelessness in the city now. And something I want to make clear is that homelessness... I'm I'm sorry, Rue. Are you saying seeing more street homelessness because of the potential threat of harm within the shelter. Oh yeah. Oh wow. 
Oh, yeah. For, has that recently increased? Is that different than how it used to be? Um, I would say it's increased more because the population has grown over the last couple of years. Mm. Um, as housing is not available, supported housing is not available, the population has grown. Um, and then people just refuse to go to the shelters. They've either been in the shelters and have a really bad experience and choose to be on the street, or they just have heard horrible things about the shelter. Um, and it's really yeah. challenging for them to stay in or go seek help from the shelter system. Gotcha. And and there's not there are no systems in place to protect people while they're there. And and I know what I'm asking maybe sounds very ignorant. My experience with the shelter system, two instances. I woke up one morning and before I even got to stretch, I was punched out flat on the floor Jesus. for no reason. I just heard the word faggot and then punched out. out. I didn't even know where it went from it was a gentleman that got out of rikers um he was drunk he had come in overnight was sleeping in a bed near me i don't even know how he knew i was queer but <laughs> and um i got a black eye and in the system they moved the victim so i lost not only my bed i lost my housing package that i've been working on for six months um i lost a lot of my personal belongings um yeah, that was one experience. And then the other experience, you ask about, are there systems in these shelters to keep you safe? Well, I was standing in line and I had a brand new Chromebook in my backpack. And they make you put your bag in when you go in for um, um, meals. They make you put your bag on the floor. I'm like, I'm not putting my bag on the floor. Right, and the cop yeah. pushed me against the metal cafeteria thing slammed me, gave me a bruise on the side of my face, handcuffed me, and then cut my backpack off me. Oh, wow. What? Yes. And so so these are... Police are the security at... It's NYPD DHS police. Got it. Okay. Yep. It, it, it's, it's... It's not a pretty picture in the shelters. Sure. And luckily, I have mental health concerns as long as as well with um, substance use history. I'm in recovery now. And um, I luckily got into what they call a MICA shelter, chemically ill. Um, I'm chemically ill, mentally ill, chemically addicted is what MICA stands for. And they specifically help people with. So BRC was that shelter. They got me into the general population shelter originally, and then I came to them. Um, to, at the Jack Ryan shelter in Chelsea and um, there are some amazing people there and I had given up hope at that point and the apartment that I sit in today I got through BRC I live in community accesses um, mental health independent supported housing um, it's just a regular apartment no one would know I'm receiving mental health services or I got this because I'm I have mental health concerns um, and I had given up and it literally took my caseworker because I had been on housing interviews. I've been on 10 or 15 housing interviews and no one was biting and my housing package was going to expire again. And it was just, it was, I gave up and the day of the interview for here at community access, I'm laying in my bed and in the micro shelters, you don't have to leave um, like the general population shelters. And I'm laying in my bed, the, the um, housing aide comes up and gets me, get ready for your interview, let's go. 
And I'm like, no, I'm not going. And then the security guard comes and gets me. No, I'm not going. I would not move. <laughs> and then my kids, Cynthia was her first name. She came up, big old mama, like, you did not mess with this woman. <laughs> and she came up and she goes, Rue, you get out of this bed right now or you have two choices. The doctor will get you out or you go to the emergency room. <laughs> oh, no. Like she was, she was not messing with me. And then by the end of this whole ordeal, there was like the nurse practitioner, the psychiatrist, my therapist, the, the caseworker, the security guard, the housing escort aide that was going to take me to me was all. And then Cynthia just literally grabbed my sheets and my blanket and pulled them off me. She's like, you get out of this bed, you go to this housing interview. That's it. So I got up. Why didn't you want to go? Because I was just burned out. I, I was, I've gone on like 10 or 15 housing interviews. Um, and the and fear of just being rejected and it not going Rejected yeah. or put on wait lists. And at this point, I had been in the shelter, I think, 14 or 16 months. And then I came here and I walked into this building and I was like, oh, I felt like home immediately. And there's, I moved in November 20th of 2010. Um, right before Thanksgiving, or I think it was like a day or so. I can't remember what day Thanksgiving fell on that year. But I have, I still have a photo I share on my social media every year of me having the key in my hand and unlocking my door for the first time. Yeah. And there's there was nothing in this apartment when I came in. Just a bed, a couple chairs, and a table, and a home kit that they give you when you move in, like with pots and pans and forks, knives, Right. Bedding. Basics. Yeah. 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 The, the very basics. And I just, I never slept. It was a horrible mattress, but I never slept better than I'm and sure. like locking that door and knowing I was safe. Yeah. Was better than anything. And that's, that's something that we need to work on in this city. Is we love impact stories and, and you being your own impact story is really kind of remarkable. You know what I mean? Like, it's really beautiful to see you here. If you don't mind, um, I mean, if you don't mind going a little deeper, what can you tell us what happened? Why, what, how did you find How did I become homeless? Yeah. So um, I have a lot of childhood trauma. I lost, I lost my mother at age 12. Oh, wow. um, I grew Sorry. up in a single, yeah. thank you. Um, I grew up in a single father household up in Maine. I came out, I mean, I came out of my mother's vagina in a tutu. Like, <laughs> there was no question. <laughs> like, there was no question that I what was... What color was it? And did it have glitter? That's my only question. <laughs> Pink. And it had no glitter because glitter is the herpes of theater. <laughs> I, oh, oh, my God. It, hilarious. Thank yes, you. It, it is the gift that just keeps on giving. And I hate glitter. <laughs> That's funny. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, so, and I had a lot of sexual trauma in my teens, um, thinking I was connecting with other gay men, and it was really abuse. It was predators yeah. seeking out um, us young gay folk, and then I got really active in um, activism, queer youth activism, um, which led me into entertainment and um, event production, and I went for I retired in 2019 but I um I worked here in New York um I worked in the Broadway community off Broadway community national international tours and with that lifestyle you're really connected with 
substance use. Sure. <laughs> and, and it's a very toxic environment, as you guys can probably relate to. Yeah, for sure. It can absolutely be very toxic. Yeah. <laughs> and adding on to that, that I was undiagnosed and untreated ADHD or ADD is now the, because it's a spectrum now. Um, and also with the trauma, depression, and bipolar, having a mood disorder, um, and all that trauma stacking up. And um, my drug of choice was crystal meth. And that was, it started out as self-medicating. I started with no-dose. I don't know if you remember. Well, it's still around, but no-dose back when I was a kid had amphetamine in it. For truckers. Yes, exactly. Now it's just, it's basic and it only has caffeine in it. <laughs> but back then I discovered no dose at age nine and I took off. Like oh, it, no. it just, chilled, it was like, I explained it this way. It, it chilled me out like a, a pothead. Like really? Like no dose did. So you're just like, oh, mm, yeah, man. Yeah, what's and, wow. And, and then through like the circuit parties and all the, the stuff gay men go through um and our hormones i was introduced to, um crystal meth and that's where the end and i came to new york on a whim i was working on a very big show down in florida that i was proud of i'm actually looking at the poster right now and um i said if i can do this i can do it anywhere kind of the reverse if you make it in new york you can make it anywhere right right if i can make but, it in oh. florida i can kill it in new york. <laughs> exactly not the same thing bro that is not the not same thing the same thing but that's what drugs you do were, to you you were reading that backwards sweetheart yeah. totally was reading it backwards and i came here and i had a lot of success but i never i never had an apartment of my own and just couch surfing and the drug use and my untreated mental health and I could not get treatment or diagnosis. It just ended me up on the street and like rotating through the ERs. My friends call me the Yelp of ERs, <laughs> psych ERs here in the city, because I can, you tell me what's going on. I'll tell you what psych ER to go to. Right, yeah. <laughs> and, and it, really came i arrived i think it was february 9th of 2008 full-time i had come in and out of the city for work because we did a lot of our casting up here and also some concert tours i was on were um rehearsed up here and um but i came here on a plane with my shit packed in two bags sold everything in florida and february 8th of 2000 i'm sorry february 9th of 2009 and i was instantly homeless I was couch surfing. I'd stay with a friend and I never had any permit, um, physical address. I was PO boxes. And then the, the drugs took over and the mental health. I would have outbursts at work. And I'm one of those ones that won't stay around until you fire me. Sure. I'll go F you and I'll leave, but it's really I'm the one that's the problem. Not like, you. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right, yeah. And um, that just continued. And then I just stopped working. And I ended up um, getting kicked out of an apartment. I actually went on a short tour, hated it. I was, it was so toxic, left it, came back, and the person I was staying with kicked me out. Um, and I put everything I owned in uh, the U-Haul down on 23rd Street near the West Side Highway. And I spent my first night in that. Now it's a really nice pier park over at Chelsea Piers. Mm. Back then it was crap. And I slept in that park. I can't, I, can still I mean, there's actually a picnic table they still have there that I sat at like the front part of the park was done but the outer part in the river wasn't done and every time I go there a, 
organization I'm part of has uh, um, brunch there for recovery every summer. And every time I go to that park, my stomach rolls. I'm like, this is where it all started. Mm. My street homelessness. And I would, I would rotate in and out of the shelters. Um, and I could not get services, medical care, dental care, forget mental health care, sure. forget it. And a lot of, a lot of mental health providers would not take me on because I was using meth. Mm. And back then, dual diagnosis wasn't really acknowledged. It was like, you get sober... And, and then, then you can come with, yeah, the yeah. mental health and the trauma and everything. It's like, but oh, it's all my, intertwined, you dumb dumbs. It is. Yes, yeah. All the same <laughs> stuff. I'm using it this to help with that. I can't deal with that, so I'm doing this. What's wrong with you? One hundred percent. And 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 being homeless, like I was doing survival sex work, right? Survival drug selling. Yeah. <laughs> like if I was hungry, it was easier to get meth than it was to get food mm. which is say that again that's an insane thing to be true it's easier easier to get drugs than, than it is, is to, get, to food. get food how insane that we should be embarrassed of ourselves as humans it's so painful to know but it, it was it was and that's where help nyc comes in is because if i would have had a website that was easily accessible i could in the moment, schedule when I'm going to eat that day. Mm, yep. And when I'm on a government-subsidized cell phone, back then they didn't have the smartphones, like, the browser doesn't work on these maps. And then I'm not, I'm already hungry, so my tolerance is low for BS, and I would just give up and go go use. Um, can, and, I, can I ask you, Ruth? Yeah. Um it is it is very easy for people to see a homeless individual and kind of I you know you you hear the the narrative, you know, go get a job, some sort of dismissive narrative of this person did this to themselves. Um what percentage would you say has a similar Everybody's story is unique, right? But, it, but that has a similar story, whether it is uh, past trauma, whether it is mental health issues, whether it is uh, substance abuse issues. What percentage or percentage of people sleeping on the street would you suggest have some sort of background like that? Where uh, substance use history so, and mental substance, health. mental health, uh, past childhood um, trauma. I am not, this is anecdotal, and I am not the statistics. Sure. I'm putting my fine print here. <laughs> um, but I would say the majority of chronically homeless, street homeless, um, New Yorkers who are experiencing homelessness, the majority of them have co-occurring disorders, um, whether it be substance use or mental health. And a, and a majority of them, like myself, like our mental health concerns came first. And we self-medicated, sure. Um, because it's 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 like, where's the cart in front of the horse? Like, how do we get the horse in front of the cart? Like, it, it, 
there's another and we i could go on and on about this is that there's the harm reduction model a lot of people have issue with because they think it's syringe exchange Mm. Right, like it's that. That's it. That's that simple. Done. Yay. Yeah. No, <laughs> the harm reduction model and my most favorite part. Well, there's two things I like about the harm reduction model, and New York is really embracing this now. Is the housing first model? Mm. Get people in housing, whether yeah. they have an acknowledged mental health concern or a substance use challenge. Get them in housing subsidize that housing get them in there get them social services because if you've been homeless for any amount of time there's going to be some things that are wonky sure i still have 11 years later i still have problem grocery shopping because i lived for so long off from bodega food and soup kitchen food that i still have challenges grocery shopping get them some supports whether it's in their own apartment through a city FEPS voucher or through a supported housing, get them supports and um, don't require people to be sober to get into housing. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's always crazy to me that, I mean, even outside of the homelessness conversation, the jobs that require drug testing are always the, you know, the lowest paying jobs. It's, I mean, if you were to, if you were to drug it, it drug test lots of people on Wall Street. You'd be finding amphetamines and coke. Oh my god! Right. If you just if collapse, you just right. line, if you just throw a black light on Wall Street, yeah, you're gonna yeah. see like it's gonna be problematic. There's gonna be blood, semen, urine, sure. <laughs> cocaine. It, like it's gonna that's be all, okay. all in the blood Exactly. <laughs> and the beautiful thing is, is that New York is leading the way in decriminalizing substances, mm. like Portugal did. They turned around just about every societal issue with with humanity by decriminalizing drug use their drug use went down their homelessness population went down like it and it was funny because the other day they i guess in new york state they just passed the bill saying that employers can no longer test for marijuana oh interesting yeah and i'm like yay and then the other side of me thought like if I'm an actor flying in a theater 40 feet above a stage, the last thing I want someone to <laughs> controlling the other side of that rope is someone who's chilled out on marijuana. Sure. But anyway. <laughs> or, or no dose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I, um, yeah. So anyways, tangent central here. Um, it, it's, it's ridiculous to have people who are surviving on the streets, experiencing homelessness and expect them to walk through a door, get magically sober. Yeah. Take their medication as prescribed. Yeah. Show up to all their therapy and psychiatry appointments and intensive outpatient appointments. And also go to HRA to get your SNAP benefits set up or your cash assistance and then make sure you go apply for your disability and SSI and then make sure that you um, go get your ID and turn on your electricity and get a telephone and make sure your mailing address is correct and 
and let's not even venture in to someone who has experience with the justice system sure. and right. everything that that right. entails right like yeah. it, it's 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 a snowball it is, effect all of it it's, it's a, a, all of it's a snowball. yeah, yeah. And, and humanity and compassion i feel like are definitely the answer like you said portugal they counteracted everything with humanity and we don't, yeah. we don't have enough of that here. We don't care about our fellow man. Like Stephen was saying earlier, get a job, loser. That's not, it's, it, that's not, it's also, not that simple. Um, it's not that easy. Uh, well, there's also, so a lot of people, uh, if you guys haven't watched it, John Oliver actually did a thing on homelessness yesterday that was really good. But one of these, one of the, the pushbacks with the housing first conversation is everybody will always say like, but well, we're just going to spend a bunch of money on homeless people you know it's a handout it's blah blah, all this stuff but it's one third less expensive to put people in housing than it is for the expenses that come from keeping people on the street so um i think the stats out of la was it was thirty one thousand thirty two thousand dollars to keep somebody on the street and that's medical expenses that's uh, all the different uh, expenses that pop up from somebody living on the streets where it was only 10,000 to keep them housed. Um, so, yeah. so it is this thing that even if you cut the humanity part of it out and, and you just go straight with money, right? It's, it's still, <laughs> still makes more sense to help a hundred percent because but, but, but just for the record, we at nonprofits, even if the answer, the financial answer was the inverse, we still would believe that housing people is more important. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Like, like it, it's the, there's an amazing Ted talk. God rest his soul. Lloyd Pendleton, um, in Utah, I believe it was, um, it's called like the housing bear. What, what's that? that? Sounds like the name of a teddy bear. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is a Ted talk. <laughs> no pun intended. Um, the housing first of, approach to homelessness he really he he did he monitored there was a hud study many years ago that he was a part of in utah where they took the housing first model that actually started here in new york city it's like we are the pioneers of this housing first model and it's gone away <laughs> like, what's going on but anyways hud did a study on it and he was a part of it on i believe it was utah um, through the Mormon church um, or some, I don't know the details he talks about it, but they studied the people that had the most challenges. They didn't take very superficial top, like eat low hanging fruit. They worked with the people that were chronically homeless, that were, that could not get sober or get into recovery and have had years and years on the street and trauma from it. And people don't realize that housing, as Stephen mentioned, is so much cheaper and works out for the community. It's not only a financial incentive. Like, I, I mean, we'd be here all day talking about it. But the main thing is, is that people don't see every time they call 911, that's another $3,000 ER visit. That's another $800 ambulance ride. Not yeah. to mention police crisis teams showing up. Um, and the possible further injury to this person who's already indigent. You know what I mean? Like Not possible. Yeah. Guaranteed injury, whether it's physical or mental. And God forbid yeah. the person 
has a warrant or right. or experience with the justice system, you can skip the ER. You can skip. Do yep. not pass go. You go straight to Rikers Island. Right. Yeah. And then you sit there for the next nine months for public urination. Yeah. Yep. Because you have prior experience. It's 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 and if we could just get these people housed, like I was housed, it the benefits to this city would be amazing. Agreed. Rue, it's going to sound crazy, but we are at the end of our show. I know. (laughs) We could go on and on. So good. Um, We'll definitely have to have you back again uh, at another time for sure. We love love the work that you do. Can you please tell our audience how they can follow, how they can donate money, how they can donate their time to help New York City? Yeah, definitely. So you can follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. um, And we have a brand new medium publication. Um, you can check all of that out at um, helpnyc.co. If you or someone you know needs help, you can get resources at helpnyc.info. And if you would like to volunteer for us, we list our volunteer listings at NYC Service. That is nycservice.org. Or you can also go to our website at helpnyc.co. Co, and if you would like to help our mission and and donate to us, please visit our, our join a giving circle. We have amazing giving circles up on our website, um, and that's helpnyc.co forward slash giving. And um, thank you all for this amazing opportunity today. Thank you, yeah, Frankie. We appreciate you, Ruth. Thank you so much for the time, man. Yeah, we're super happy to have you on, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the voice you were just listening to is Rue Parkin. I am Frankie French. And I'm Stephen Campbell. And I'm also Stephen Campbell. And this has been <laughs> the nonprofit. The non the, the nonprofits. There it is. The nonprofit. There we go. Yo, Thank but you, like, Steven. subscribe, share, all that stuff. Go tell Give people. Us a review. Tell, put a review. Tell people about how yeah. much you learned. And uh please go give to help NYC. Um you know, it, it is, uh, it, I love what you guys are doing, Rue, and I sincerely appreciate you. People in our comment section on Twitch are saying thank you, Rue. So thank you again. Thank you, uh, everyone. From thank us you. and our Call. listeners, we appreciate the work that you do, truly. Like, subscribe, share, review. Peace. We'll yes. <laughs> Bye. Bye.